I, I did have two years in Darwin where I was, I think I was actually the largest general aviation charter company in Australia. I had a, a staff member do a bit of a dirty deal behind my back and started another company. I didn't take advice. I didn't listen to my mentors. It was like, you know, it's not going to happen to me. Too big, too quick. Yeah, whatever. Next minute, yeah, things started to get pretty financially tough and losing the charter company 10 years later, it, it, it was hard. One of the hardest and lowest points in my life. Welcome to Do The Job. In today's episode, we take you on an adventure into the clouds as we speak to aviation expert Stefan Wood, whose journey through the skies spans nearly three decades. His story is not a conventional one and has been one of scale. His remarkable journey began in 1995, building a plane chartering business that would grow from a single aircraft to an impressive fleet of 46. But it wasn't to last, and eventually the business went under. Fast forward to today and Stefan has rebuilt his aviation empire and with his business partner has launched Air 7 Asia, a jet chartering operation known for serving not just the rich and famous, but anyone who wants the convenience of hopping around the region in style. Stefan's story has twists, turns and some turbulence, so buckle up for an exciting journey into the world of aviation with Stefan Wood as we ask him what it takes to do the job. So, Stefan, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for giving us your time. Absolute pleasure. Let's start from the beginning. Could you give us a brief overview of your journey into the aviation industry from its beginnings to your current role as the executive director of Air 7 Asia? Well, it's a, it's a little bit of an interesting one. There's absolutely no aviation in my family whatsoever. Although my mum, I was born in London and my mum uh, travelled to and from London three times before I was a month old. So I think I got a 747 blooded into me very, very early, at a very early age. And uh, then from then, from all I can remember was I just wanted to be a pilot. You know, from 14, 15, 16, and you know, at school I was not a very good student and I had these great dreams of getting into the uh, RAAF in Australia. And, uh, of course, um, yeah, no, I wasn't uh, smart enough for that or I didn't have the dedication to study. So um, I ended up just uh, yeah, going to uni and uh, getting a few jobs to pay for myself to learn to fly. And that dedication took, oh, I think, about 18 months. And that got me into my very first uh, first job. Got very lucky. Got a job off a resume, actually, up in the middle of the Northern Territory in Darwin. Actually, south of Darwin on an Aboriginal community. Uh, let me tell you, a little 19-year-old from Melbourne, what, a, what an experience that was. Anyway, moving along, I worked there for a while, then I went out to a cattle station where I was more a ringer than a pilot, but all experience, moved back to Darwin thinking that I'd um, get myself a job with one of the other operators who I knew fairly well from over time, and uh, no, I couldn't get a job. So I thought, well, maybe I'll just lease an aircraft and, and get an air operator's licence and start a business. So I did, and it worked. And uh, I've got this little knack with customer service where... I don't know, I just provide a good customer service. So all of a sudden I had to buy a plane and lease another plane, bought another plane. Before I knew it, uh, five years in, I had 30 aeroplanes. I bought another aer uh, company out. Before I knew it, I had 46 aeroplanes. And at that point I was young, uh, dumb and uh, too much money and I managed to destroy it. Absolutely fantastic journey. Wow. Um, but we, 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 live, we, we get to where we go by what we learn from our past. And uh, from there I finally did tick the box of becoming an airline pilot where I got a job with Tiger in Singapore. 
and I worked there for three years as a um, as a pilot, and then a few things changed in that company, so I moved over to Jetstar Asia, and uh, where I was a captain at Jetstar Asia for just on ten years, and. Uh, Along that journey, in 2010, I also started a company, uh, an aviation company called Singapore Air Charter, which was basically aimed around uh, brokering deals, brokering aircraft charter deals, and that uh, it's still in existence today. Uh, that was always just flittering away in the background, topping up my income, which was lovely. Let me let me say it was great airline captain income, and that was fantastic. And then COVID came along, and for a while, I'd been wanting to leave the airline and move more back into my own business, but. I had those golden handcuffs. It was it was a great job with the money from SAC as well. It was a, a fantastic position, but I didn't have the... Look, I didn't have the balls to take the leap. COVID gave me them. I lost my job. And then I met Jamie, my business partner, and we sat down and we... Uh, well, not my business partner at the time, actually. Thanks to Singapore Air Charter is how Jamie and I got together because his dad's in the oil and gas business and was looking at chartering an aircraft. And then Jamie and I got talking and we sat down and we realised we had some common interests... Jamie knew someone with an aeroplane. I had the AOC. We uh, married together. And lo and behold, two and a half years later and five aeroplanes and there we are. There's, Air 7 Asia. Yeah. <laughs> well, there's a whole lot of stuff I want to ask about that. <laughs> I want to go right back. I'm sorry, but you said you were a student. And within 18 months, you got your... Commercial pilot's license. Commercial pilot's yep. license. Now, I remember what I was like as a student, and I was poor. I was really poor. Well, so, look, I, well, how I was, does, how I was does that poor work? as well, but I, I was working three jobs. I was stocking shelves in a supermarket. I was uh, working at a, at a school as a gardener. And uh, oh, that's right, I was working at a nightclub. Mm. Yeah, so um, yeah, it's just all, all, all the money I got went, went into the flying training. Is that a relatively short period of time scale to get a commercial pilot's license? No, it, 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 yes and no. I mean, it's all about money. The, the more money you've got, the more lessons you can do. It's as simple as that. If you don't have the money, you can't do the lessons. And then you've got to have the time and the weather's got to be good. But I was pretty dedicated to it. So, you know, I, I was lucky. It's my passion. I wonder if it's more financially accessible in Australia than other places. I don't know if you know that or not. Yes, or... well, I mean, definitely like you know, the USA is the, the king of accessibility for aviation. I mean, it's where aviation started. And, uh, yeah, Australia is fairly over-regulated, but flying training isn't too bad in Australia. Mm. Yeah, you know, same in, like, Malaysia, the Philippines, but then you come to places like Singapore where, you know, unless you are extremely rich, it's uh, you're not going to be learning to fly. And then I wanted to unravel the part where you built up your charter <laughs> business and then and somehow it went... Uh, pear-shaped. Uh, yeah, pear-shaped. Well, so, truly. so how did that go pear-shaped? Look, why? It's essentially I was building a, a pretty big empire. I got very cocky. Um, I thought I was the king. <laughs> <laughs> I, I did have two years in Darwin where I was, I think I was actually the largest general aviation charter company in Australia. And there wasn't a lot of competition. But then, um, yeah, like Australia's got a lovely tall poppy syndrome culture where people like to knock down the, the, the tall poppies. And uh, I had a, a staff member do a bit of a dirty deal behind my back and started another company. You know, took a few aeroplanes. That was kind of the start of it. I was also, I was pretty wild. I mean, I was what in my my mid early thirties with a pretty good disposable income. I mean, it was partying. It was, <laughs> and I, I didn't take advice. I didn't listen to my mentors. It was like, you know, it's not going to happen to me. Too big, too quick. Yeah, whatever. Next minute. 
yeah, things started to get pretty financially tough and you know, we had to, I, I had a business partner at the time and we worked out how much money we needed to pump into the company and I didn't have the money and yeah, it, was a, it was a very tough decision for me because I actually started at the business in 1995 when I had my son. So I started the business the same time as I had my son and one of the reasons I went into it actually was because I couldn't get a job and I had a kid and I had to provide. Mm-hmm. So losing that baby 10 years later, not the son, he's still alive and he's just made me grandfather, but <laughs> <laughs> losing the, the charter company 10 years later, it, it, it was hard. One of the hardest and lowest points in my life. Wow. Yeah. And, and so many people I've spoken to have said that COVID was a point in their career journey that made them reassess things. Well, you've just got to take it for, for what it is. It was like, for me, yeah, I, I didn't have an airline job anymore. Um, I went back to Australia where I was actually flying a light aircraft again and just I was actually driving a security car around an airport in Darwin. It was a lot of fun, mind you. Um, actually, I did say to my son when I got my, uh, my, my second paycheck, I said, and this is going to sound a little bit uh, narcissistic, but I said to my son, mate, how do you live on a paycheck like this? I've been an airline captain for the last 10 years. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, yeah. Um, yeah, I, I, I still had the passion and Jamie and I had been talking and the more we talked, the more we realised that our ideas had synergies and we, we dropped our guard and went, right, yeah, let's go all in. So Jamie had the contact with the plane, I had the contact with the licence, we put it together and as I said, here we are. And second time round, I guess, because as you say, you got burnt the first time yes. round. You said you had to, to let your guard down a bit. Yes. So what have you done differently well, this time I mean, the, the beautiful thing this time is I, I look back and experience is a thing that you can't buy. I mean, I've got 32 years aviation experience. I've, I've been involved in a few different businesses, but you know, aviation is a passion. And this time around, it's just yeah, you don't make the same mistakes. You know, I'm, I have I've surrounded myself with great people. You know, I get people to work with me, not for me. You know, it, it's how we do do things. We're a team. Always a teamwork. It's always thank you. It's always you, if you need help, you get help. You know, don't try and do it all yourself. Mm harder that way if you do it all yourself it is harder it is yeah. very very so much harder <laughs> and it's a lot more fun like this yeah and yeah the, the big one and I, I must say um i mean jamie and i sat down and we had a great chat probably a couple of months ago you know i talked about uh, my old business northern air charter too big too quick and uh, jamie and i we were going very well with one airplane we got a second airplane and then we um well then we bought two airplanes and then uh, we just bought a hanger. So, <laughs> yeah, learn from past mistakes, yeah. But, but the difference is, you know, we're, we're in a new space and it's, yeah, we've got some great solid contracts in place. So, yeah, it's certainly that the past is always ringing in the background. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You've got to learn from those past experiences. Oh, what motivated you to go down that route of aviation and start your own business Look, I think I touched on that, the the fact that I had a son and I had to provide and I didn't have a job. And I was cocky and I thought I could get a job in Darwin. So later on, when you have a company, other companies will use your aeroplanes. And I got quite friendly with most of the operators. And yes, one of them uh, said to me, the reason you didn't get a job with anyone in Darwin is because you're too bloody arrogant. I went, yeah, you've probably got a point there. (laughs) (laughs) But next thing, I've got, I'm the biggest company in Darwin. So obviously I do something that works. It's, you know, it, it really is to me, it, it's all about customer service. Now, I didn't have the idea to grow this business when I started it. Now, I didn't write a proper business plan. I mean, I, I wrote a business plan because to start my business, I had no money. So I went on the um, unemployment benefits 
for one reason, because I wanted to qualify for this uh, government project, which was called New Employment Incentive Scheme, where basically it paid you the same as unemployment for the first 12 months of starting your own business. But you had to go on unemployment benefits to get it, which it frustrated me because I didn't want to, but I, I went that way. But the good things out of that, met some great people and out of that scheme, we got some business mentoring, which really got me up and up and running. And that was mentoring I actually did listen to. It wasn't until I then created the monster that I started not listening to anyone and thinking I knew better. But the, the initial reason I, I got the, the, the plane was the idea was to get 500 hours twin, which is what was required to get into Qantas back then, because that was my goal. But um, unfortunately, people kept booking my planes and I kept buying more planes. So, yeah, forgot about that. It took you in a different direction. <laughs> <laughs> Certainly did. Well, let's talk about Air 7 Asia. Yep. Serving high-profile clients, including celebrities, you've got to tell us some inside stories from what you're experiencing there. Well, what that, unique a, challenges that, are there? That's a really tough one. I mean, because yeah, confidentiality, we can't really go into who we fly or, or what we fly or how we fly. But... Yeah, one thing I will say, and I, during Singapore Grand Prix, I, I flew some very, very, very high-profile um, passengers somewhere not very far away, and I've got to say, just down to earth. Hmm. And generally, that's what we find, or what I find from our clientele is that people with money are still people. Hmm. It's just for some some reason, you know, some people are put on a pedestal and people have different you know, attitudes and thoughts, but you treat people like people. You talk to him. Now, you are obviously a very confident and gregarious person. No, very, very shy and sheltered. <laughs> <laughs> what personality traits do you think a pilot needs to have? And particularly, I think, in, in talking to you, a commercial pilot. Definitely a commercial pilot. There, there, there is definitely a level of confidence. There's overconfidence, which you don't want, which I do have a little bit of, but I managed to tame it. One of my first officers once when I was working at, at Jetstar Asia as a captain, he was coming up for his upgrade. And he, very, very good pilot, but just he lacked a bit of confidence. And one night we were overnighting in Japan on, on, the, on the beers, and he said to me, Stefan, I wish I just had 1% of your confidence. <laughs> I said, it's not like that. But it is definitely a trait because you need to be able to make decisions. You, know, you need to be able to stand by your decisions. And... Ultimately, when you're a captain, what it's all about is being a manager. At that point in your career, it's not about flying an aeroplane. You can fly an aeroplane. Once you've got a license, you should be able to fly an aeroplane. It's about managing, managing a team. You could be in an office. You know, you've got everything from your ground staff, your cabin crew, your passengers. So I think, to, to me, that's probably the strongest trait, personality and confidence. I can imagine managing a team on an aircraft um, is more than just managing a team in an office. It could have life or death consequences, right? You need everyone on the same page. You need. You do, but you also need to ha have that leadership and and back up the team and let them know that you know you are there for them. Yeah, there there can certainly be. There's two ways to look at it. As a pilot, there's inside the cockpit, and you're just dealing with you know weather and flying and whatever. To me, the hardest workers on an aeroplane are actually the cabin crew down the back especially when you have unruly passengers or because obviously as pilots you can't come out of the flight deck to help. On the ground I used to help, no, no issue at all. And you know, in Asia, especially in Asia, not so much in the Western world, but uh, even in China where I, I don't speak Mandarin, if there was ever any trouble during boarding, I'd just walk out of the cockpit and stand in the galley with my arms crossed, with you know, my captain's uniform on, and all of a sudden the de-escalation. 
know, again, that just comes out from confidence instead of hiding, go and help. Now, you clearly have flown all sorts of aircrafts from very small to very large. Pretty much. What's your favourite? Oh, that's kind of funny. The one we're flying at the moment, the Gulfstream 100, it's a little rocket. Oh. <laughs> I really enjoy flying it. But no, going back... Uh, but just for the listeners who may not know, what, how big is that? So the G100, it's a, it's a corporate jet. It's a, it's a seven-seat corporate jet. Um, they're, they're quite quite a small cabin, but they're very very fast aircraft. We use our corporate, our, sorry, our G one hundred for air ambulance, medivac operations now. So um, they're very very well suited to that. But they're they're just a bit of an old school aeroplane, like they're eighties design, nineties design. So it's you, you're still flying an aeroplane. You're not really you're not managing a computer like an Airbus, for instance. And I've got nine thousand hours flying Airbus. Love them. Yeah, mm-hmm. I'd go back to doing it tomorrow. Actually, no, I wouldn't. I love doing what I do more. But yeah, my in the past, the, the smaller aircraft that I used to fly, yeah, that was that was a lot of fun too. So you just said there that part of your business is helping with Medivac. Yeah, we well, it's... Is how much the, of the, that the, is your business? The Medivac business is actually, on the air ambulance business, it's not like a, a lot of people think when you say it, it's like the you know, the, the flying doctors where it's someone's you know, had a car crash, go get them, save, save, save. That's not what we do. We're more moving stable patients. That they're stabilised before they're put on a stretcher and brought onto the plane and taken to other places. However, we will go to conflict and war tour zones if it you know, demand requires. Hmm. Uh, I won't say whether or not we did or did not go to Israel, but um, yeah, very very interesting. I didn't even think about that component. Yeah. I'm just thinking of <laughs> A-listers. And well, it's champagne. actually it, it, it is actually so. I mean, business aircraft or corporate jets are tools. Yes, you've got your celebrities that with one or two passengers fly around the world. But the, our core work is not that. Our core work is business people. You know, C-suiters need to go to Brunei for the day. It actually makes more sense to charter a plane to go at 8 a.m. and come back at 6 p.m. instead of having an overnight. When you start working out what a C-suiter's salary is and you have four of them on board, it makes sense to charter. So that's one aspect. And then obviously the medical aspect, it's huge. Patient transfer and medivac in this region is, the demand is crazy. Yeah, We've done a lot of dog charters, like people with pug nodes and yeah, dogs that can't go on the airliners that want to, they're relocating home. So they charter a jet with their dog. We flew a bloke with his cat to Manila. Gosh, all these strands of your job. Oh, that I, yeah, it, is, it is everything. Yeah. So if someone's listening to this who's considering a career change or just wanting to become a pilot for a hobby, I know you no, you did your commercial licence in 18 months. How much prior to that did you do for your regular pilot's licence? Well, I did it all at once. Oh, I see you yeah. did commercial. So I, just, I, I started from in Australia. I think back then it was a restricted pilot's licence. And once you get that, I think it's about 15 hours you need and you can fly around around in circles right. in the circuit. And then you get your private pilot's licence. And that means you can fly around anywhere. And then you get uh, your commercial pilot's license, which means you can fly for hire and reward. Right. So so if someone wanted to take up flying, could they equally, do you think, do it? Uh, not possibly commercial, but how fast can they get a, a private I think pilot's pri- license? It depends where you go. But I, I think uh, within a month, you can, if you go hard, like fly every day, get somewhere, go how somewhere. How many hours do you need for a pipe? Private pilots. I don't know these days. I, I, yeah. I'm guessing it's around 30 to 50 hours. You generally go solo around the 10 hours. 
Gosh, and then the, that seems yeah. incredibly low to me for some <laughs> strange reason. Right, we'll go on to the business of commercial aviation. Now, can you shed uh, light on the key considerations and logistics involved in managing and maintaining a fleet of aircraft used for charter services? Yeah, look, it, it's a challenge, but it's uh, yeah, in, in this modern day with uh, yeah, yeah, software, all, all our, our fleet's maintained through uh, Jet Insight. It's a software program. And now the hours are put in, yeah. But essentially, and again, when I say team, we've got a our director of maintenance in America. We've got our engineering manager here in, um, sorry, engineering director here in Singapore. So they deal with it. So your your expertise is managing the people and flying. Well, not so much flying. Well, flying, yes, but I don't fly a lot. My my expertise or where where I shine is sales and customer service, mm. and yeah, managing people, managing teams, putting teams together. But do you feel, as a pilot, you'd want to be in the air as much as possible? No. Used to, but I'm uh, I'm a grandfather now. <laughs> okay. And things change? Oh, look, it, it, it's funny. I still love flying, but sitting in a plane for four, five, six hours going somewhere, it's bad enough in business class on SQ, let alone sitting squashed up in, a, in the cockpit. For me, yeah, if we have a uh, – every now and again, we've got to pick up a passenger from Changi. So our planes are based at Salita, the business aviation airport. So anytime we've got a job where a plane's got to fly from Salita to Changi, eight minutes, everyone's got to fight me for that job because I still love flying and I love love the little trips. Because it's interesting that you've been flying and you're an aviation enthusiast, yet you are reluctant to do those journeys anymore on on, on a plane. not, Not reluctant. Right. It's just my time is much better spent on the business rather than in the business. And we employ pilots to fly the aeroplanes. Uh, myself and Jamie, we keep our license current and we fly, we cover sickness, we cover holidays and we help cover the big trips. I mean, we will always fly. Yes. It's just, to me, it's not my passion anymore. I still enjoy it, but it's not my passion. And for those who don't know, what is the reality of, of flying a, a smaller jet possibly? Because it sounds glamorous. But it can be quite tough work. And as you say, some crafts don't have facilities like toilets on them. Yeah, we're lucky all of us do. But it's uh, there's a very big difference. There's there's a few different forms of aviation. There's general aviation charter work in the bush, in smaller aeroplanes. That's yeah, single pilot, high demand. Yeah, that, that is a lot of fun flying. There's flight instructing. Obviously, that's you know, self-explanatory. Then there's airline pilot flying. And then there's corporate jet charter flying. There's a few other yeah, arms out there as well. But in airline flying, you turn up to work, you turn up to the crew room, you get handed your briefing package, you go to the aeroplane, it's refueled for you, it's the inspections done for you, everything's done for you. It's an easy job. Anyone that says it's a hard job, apart from the red-eye flights, they suck. But um, <laughs> on the corporate jet world, well, people don't realise when you land, you're the captain, you're the crew, you've got to make sure the lab's emptied. I mean, you don't have to empty it yourself. You've just got to supervise the, the ground handling connecting. But if there's any issues, it's you that gets your hands dirty. You know, you do your own refueling. You do your own flight planning. You do everything. Now, some people find a lot of reward and enjoy that. Me, I'd rather everyone else do it for me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You've had your fair share. <laughs> oh, thank you for explaining that because, as you as you say, I think there are a lot of different areas in aviation that you can go into. Oh, look, there are. Well, it's like Jamie, my business partner. He's ex-military. Uh, he, yeah. he came up through the British RAF. 
So mm. there's many different avenues. Stefan, this is your quickfire round. Far away. Your biggest career regret? No regrets. None at all? None at all. The past is what makes you who you are. Your career standout moment? That was in uh, 1998. Long time ago. But I uh, got a lovely award from uh, my hometown uh, in Darwin, the Northern Territory. I was the young, uh, sorry, the young Territorian of the Year. And that was pretty, pretty special. So what was that award related to? Oh, just the, my, my business growth, I think, and the, the, what I, I was doing a lot of work with Aboriginal communities and in tourism. And that, that actually kind of segued into the, the following year where I, uh, I won Young Australian of the Year for career achievement. I didn't win the category overall. I, it's, I came, uh, came runner-up to a, uh, an astronomer. Wow. <laughs> good grief. <laughs> so they're two pretty good highlights, but they were a long time ago. So what have I done in the last 32 years? <laughs> Actually, that's 25 years. You <laughs> can't add up. <laughs> uh, your top tip to break into your industry? It really is one word, perseverance. It's not an easy industry to crack into. Uh, getting that first job is, I mean, when I left Melbourne at 19, I didn't just get my first job. I travelled, backpacked up the um, east coast of Australia, dropped into every airport, you know, didn't have a lot of it, a lot of flying hours. Yeah, you just got to get used to rejection, to people mm-hmm. saying no, nearly people laughing at you. Instead of asking you what you earn, let's frame it in terms of your ride to work. Does your job afford you a bike, taxi, Toyota or Ferrari? Helicopter. Not really. That was a joke. <laughs> I saw that question. I said that's what I wanted to answer with. I, I actually drive a, um, a leased, uh, I think I've got one of the cheapest leased cars in Singapore. It's a Mercedes, but it's a 20-year-old Mercedes. So, so, yeah, sometimes it's difficult to get an idea from this question, and I might change it for future podcasts. But what are we looking at here? I know you have to spend a lot of money to try and Look, become a pilot. You've got to spend a lot of money to become a pilot, yeah. and, and, it, and, it, and it is a, a bullish road up. So as a, um, an airline pilot, I think in, in this region, as a captain, you can expect to be earning yeah, between two hundred and two hundred and fifty thousand sing a year. A first officer generally half to three quarters of that. And uh, the private aviation sector is similar. Um, in Hong Kong, for instance, if you're on the latest and greatest aircraft, which is a uh, like the Global Seven Thousand Five Hundred or the the G Six Fifty, I mean, there are salaries upwards of four hundred thousand dollars a year. Uh, in America, airline pilot wages have gone absolutely crazy. Yeah, silly sign-on bonuses, and because the, the, the demand is coming, and there there is a pilot shortage coming. Australia, yeah, bit of a backwater. And pilots are still fighting unions to get more money down there. But it's if you join it for the money, you're joining it for the wrong reason. You're joining it because you want to fly, but the reward is generally out there if you've got that perseverance and you get into the job that you want. Mm. And lastly, in terms of social, societal, sorry, impact, have you changed people's minds, changed the narrative or changed the world? So how do you think your chartering business has changed? That's a tough question. But look, I mean, we're not doing anything overly different to what other companies do. We are expanding. And again, I'm just going to bring it back to that, that, that one phraseology that I love, customer service. And we just look after people. Are we changing the world? No. 
Are we helping people with Medivac? Yep. But there's other companies to do that. It's We're just a, a, a good, solid company that works on one word, and that one word's called excellence. The last section, the future of the aviation industry, I couldn't help but pick up on the fact that you said there will be a pilot shortage in the future. I, I believe they will, definitely. Why, why is that? There's a lot of retirements coming up over time because you can only, I think it's 65 years old for an international pilot. Uh, many in domestic, uh, in domestic ops, I think you can be older. But there is generally a, a lack of people coming up through the industry. And you've got a lot of inexperienced pilots, so the the drain on experienced captains, it's starting now again. Like pre-COVID, you could go to China on a, a China contract, and you'd uh, be working. I think it was uh, three on, two off, or three weeks on, two weeks off, something like that, and you could clear twenty five thousand US a month tax paid. Now all those contracts went away in COVID, but. I can tell you now, once China gets busy again and all these contracts come back, there's going to be a massive drag from the low-cost airlines and it just it pulls it up you know, from the bottom up. I've got friends in many different forms of aviation and I mean, one of my old adversaries now, a friendly company in Darwin, I mean, they're offering you know, over $200,000 a year for a training pilot. I mean, it's people laugh when people say there's a, a pilot shortage coming, but I, I definitely predict that's on its way. So those people wanting to go into the industry... I think it's a great time. Yeah. It, it is, honestly, if, if you're thinking of joining aviation, now is the time. As someone who's had a front row seat to the aviation industry's evolution, what changes have you observed over the years? I mean, the, the biggest one in aviation is technology. So, yeah, we've gone from steam gauges on like a, a steam engine boat... <laughs> to yeah, modern you know, avionics and computers that give you a lot more situational awareness that just make flying pretty much easier. I mean, it's not easy by, by any, any form of the matter, but the, the big one for me is that the newer the software and the newer the, the systems, it's all about situational awareness. We've now got, in every aircraft, you've got a thing called a TCAS, which is Traffic Collision Avoidance System, and that shows you where other aeroplanes are. So the mid-air, mid-air collisions are a thing of the past. I mean, they're not. They still do happen. But, you know, it's another safety procedure in place. And the, the more we move along and the more systems improve, the safer aviation becomes. So a pilot coming into the industry now would need to be quite tech-savvy, would you say? It, not to start, and you, you learn on the way up, but I think as time goes on, training aircraft are going to come more of the upgraded avionics and it'll be harder to find, you know, planes of the past. And how much do you think the balance will be between a pilot's skill and all the new technology that's coming on board? How does that balance out? Because ultimately you can't trust a machine I think we're at least a generation away from this crazy ideas of no pilot aeroplanes or one pilot aeroplanes. It's, I mean... Machines are great and systems are great and AI seems pretty good, but you still can't beat someone sitting up the front looking out the window. And, and, and more to the point, your passenger. Correct. <laughs> Wouldn't want to trust that either. No. I mean, I, I trust a, a, a driverless train. It's on tracks. 
Would I trust a driverless bus? <laughs> Not as much. But a train, it's on tracks. An aeroplane, even worse than a bus. What opportunities do you see in terms of global travel and demand for charter aviation services moving forward? Oh, it's just going to grow. I mean, we, we, I said there's a, the post-COVID down, but if you look statistically at what's going on in, in private aviation, it is certainly on the way up. And they, they, there's more, you look at countries like India, with more high net worth individuals and more people entering the, the, the higher net worth bracket means more corporate jets are being bought and more, yeah, more travel is required. What do you, what's your final advice for anyone who wants to enter the aviation business and particularly commercial chartering aviation? What's your final piece of advice that you could give to someone that's looking to enter that? It's quite, quite simply, you know, believe in yourself and don't listen to the naysayers. Because there will be people that tell you you're mad, tell you you're crazy. If it's your passion and it's what you want to do, and I don't care about aviation or anything, it doesn't matter, it's life. If you are passionate, you will succeed. And what has the aviation business allowed you to do in your life? Well, I mean, I've certainly been very, very uh, lucky with some corporate jet flights to places that I wouldn't have done you know, sitting down the back if I was just sitting there in my airline. Um, look, it's just opened me to the world, I suppose, is the easiest way to say it. Stefan, thank you very much for being with us today. No problem.